Welcome to China in Context, the weekly podcast from the SOAS China Institute in London. I'm Zuri Linetsky, research fellow at the Eurasia Group Foundation in Washington, D.C. I was born in Canada, and as a kid, I was often puzzled by the money I saw on TV shows and in the movies. Why was it always green? I later realized that I'd been watching American movies and TV dramas, so the dollars, or greenbacks, look quite different to Canadian cash which comes in a range of colors, including pink and purple notes. As well as a high media profile, the U.S. dollar has an impressive international reputation. Indeed, it is used as a reserve currency for much of the world. But will its dominance endure as we move into a new multipolar world and China's economic might grows? I'm pleased to welcome an expert to discuss this topic with me. Daniel McDowell is Associate Professor of Political Science at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University in the United States. Dan, welcome to China in Context. It's great to be here, Zuri. Thanks for having me. You've written a book which considers the rivalry between the U.S. dollar and the Chinese renminbi, also known as the yuan. The title of your book is Bucking the Buck, and it's published by Oxford University Press. The subtitle is intriguing, U.S. financial sanctions and the international backlash against the dollar. We'll come into the sanctions element in a bit, but as this is a podcast about China, let me start with a question about that country. What is the ambition of the Chinese government when it comes to the international role of the renminbi? It's a great question, and that's something I've been interested in and studying now for, gosh, about 14 years or so. Uh, it's sort of a contradictory ambition. Um, if we look at Chinese policies over the last 15 years or so, and that's about the range of time um, that uh, the Chinese state has been uh, at least talking about and strategizing about internationalizing the currency. And what I mean by that is encouraging its use outside of China. We've seen um, a series of policies that are aimed at encouraging international use, Um, agreements between China's central bank and foreign central banks, for instance, that provide liquidity in the currency. We've uh, seen China, uh, especially since 2015, developing its own cross-border payment system known as uh, CIPS or SIPS. And yet at the same time, we've seen China maintain um, a regime of capital controls. And what I mean by that are restrictions on the convertibility of the the currency into foreign currencies that uh, restrict residents' ability to move capital out of China. And uh, by virtue of that, sort of diminishing the appeal of the currency uh, as an international investment uh, currency. And so for those reasons, you see some policies that appear to suggest great ambition and then others that suggest that China is not fully committed to internationalizing the currency. So I would say it's managed and limited and contradictory. So is there more risk holding money in a currency like the Chinese yuan because of maybe the possibility of a sudden devaluation made by the central government? And what's your view of this type of risk? Yeah. So I think when you talk about you know a potential devaluation of the RMB, what we're talking about there is uh, what's called foreign exchange risk, right? And this is a risk that um, that an investor will have to account for uh, with any investment that's made in a, a national currency, because there's always the potential that an investment in another currency could have performed better over the short term, because currencies, of course, uh, their values uh, change every day, floating exchange rates. 
Um, if you would have been in a, an alternative currency that appreciated against the one you were in, you would have essentially uh, experienced a higher rate of return. So that foreign exchange risk is present um, with any investments. I actually think it's kind of not the biggest concern when we look at China's currency and why it may or may not be appealing. The Chinese state still heavily manages the value of the RMB, um, allows it to move within a, a tight band. And so it's actually quite stable because of that. So I think foreign exchange risk is the least of, of folks' concerns. What I would say the bigger risk, if we're talking about why you know China's currency may not be as appealing, it has to do more with um, uh, the idea of liquidity. How how easy can you, or how quickly and easily can you convert an asset into cash? If you can't find a buyer, you can't cash out, then you're sort of stuck with this asset that could potentially be losing value. There, I think the concern is greater because of the capital controls that China has used in the past. And so if I'm a foreign investor and I'm holding a lot of assets denominated in RMB that are in mainland China, uh, my concern would be that you know if the Chinese economy is facing a serious crisis of sorts in the future, that uh, the Chinese state would uh, impose restrictions that would make it very difficult for me to sell my assets and potentially impossible for me to sell my assets and repatriate my investments. Um, the United States, by contrast, has a, a very liberal financial system where it effectively has no controls on those things and assures investors that um, they will have the ability to move money in and out of the US financial system at will. Uh, that's not true in China. And so I think that's the bigger concern. There was a report about uh, exchange in RMB and Russian rubles and how people in Russia are very ups don't want RMB. They they still prefer rubles or they might even prefer dollars. Is is that a part of the story you're you're telling me right now? Yeah, it could be. I mean, my sense is in that case, um, some of it's just a familiarity and even just the brand associated with the currency. I mean, the dollar just remains um, sort of symbolically the gold standard, right? And we know that in times of stress, that markets, they rush to dollars, right? Uh, and I think psychologically, uh, Russian citizens, uh, um, they're going to still be attached to that idea because that's that's what they've always done. That's what markets still do. And you want to do in financial markets, you want to do what everybody else does. This is the John Maynard Keynes beauty contest. You want to be on the, you know, on, on, on the same train that everybody else is on. Uh, and I think the lack of, you know, interest in RMB at the sort of citizen level suggests this, um, I think, a lack of trust in the currency. How useful is this? RMB uh, not traded much outside of China, again, because uh, China controls those financial markets. So um, it, it is not, you know, as useful a currency, especially internationally uh, as a currency like the dollar and just doesn't have the brand value if we want to use that term. Well, Vladimir Putin has said he very much supports the use of the yuan and payments between Russia and country and countries in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. He also described the dollar and the euro as, quote, toxic. What do you think led him to say that? This is the sort of language that Putin has been using um, to talk about the dollar now for almost 10 years. Uh, it's it's kind of ramped up in recent years, especially since the invasion. I think this idea that Putin is going to sort of just snap his fingers and, and everyone's going to start using uh, China's currency instead of the dollar it is wishful thinking. You know, Putin, frankly, doesn't have much choice, okay, because huge portions of the Russian economy today are blacklisted from using American banks in the dollar. And so he has little choice but to uh, you know, encourage uh, Ru uh, Russia's economic partners to use non-dollar currencies. Now, in the book, I talk about this um, and even, again, document this prior to the invasion of Ukraine. Countries, certain partners, China being one of them, India being another, were 
working with Russia to de-dollarize. And what I mean by that is, right, move away from the dollar, move towards using local currencies or China's currency uh, in trade. That was happening, right? That was happening. Uh, and so I think we'll continue to see that, even more of that, because again, if you want to conduct business with Russia, you almost have to now. Okay. But that's different from saying countries are going to wholesale move away from the dollar. Um, it's it's one thing to say you might do it in your relations with Russia, but that's likely to be an exception. So in the face of international sanctions on Russia and potentially on other countries, is this the way for countries like Russia or maybe China in the future to bypass what they see as toxic currencies, uh, the euro and the dollar? given the economic weapons that are being wielded against them? Yeah. I mean, I think what you're seeing is is countries that, again, are uh, are sort of cut out of the dollar system, like Russia, finding ways in different relationships to patch together their own financial network that exists outside of the dollar network. So that might be you know, getting um, accounts between Russian banks and, let's say, Chinese banks, so they can do um, sort of uh, conduct payments directly. Uh, or that might involve again Russia investing more of its uh, its uh, reserves in in China's currency because it can't access its dollars. Uh, I think that again in relations with Russia and China, for instance, I think what we're going to see is an intensification of those de-dollarization trends because again they have no other choice, right? If China wants to buy Russian energy, if China wants to buy Russian gold, if it wants to have its banks do business with major Russian banks, then they're going to have to do so outside of the dollar system, and they're going to have to use their own currencies. We already saw Russia and China move before the war towards using RMB and rubles more, um, and we've seen that intensify since the war. The big question, I think, for China and its currency is not so much whether countries like Russia that have no other choice use the currency, but rather whether you see states sort of voluntarily moving into RMB that could still be using the dollar, right? That's a different scenario than um, a situation where you have no choice because sanctions are already in place. So should the worst happen and China blockades or even invades Taiwan, the US and allies would presumably enact a major set of economic sanctions against China. Based on the sanctions regime against Russia, what would the effect of US-led sanctions on the Chinese economy be? This is a, a really important question. I think you know, the first thing I would say, or maybe the first question I would ask is, would those sanctions be multilateral to the same degree that the sanctions targeting Russia are? Um, and we obviously don't know the answer to that, but you know, would the Europeans, uh, would Japan, would Korea be willing to go along with similarly harsh sanctions against China, a far more important, far larger economy that they've been willing to, to use against Russia? So that put, setting that aside, um, I think putting together that coalition could be trickier. Were it to happen, you know, would these sanctions be effective? I think the first thing to recognize is that they would be incredibly costly on all sides. China is substantially larger, has an economy, second largest economy in the world. The United States, Europe, um, US allies are all sort of deeply connected with China economically. And there are major American corporations that have huge interests in China. If we were to assume that China and the United States would uh, would be at war over 
forcible reunification of Taiwan. Um, economically speaking, I think nothing's off the table. You might see China expropriating right Tesla factories in, in China. You might see the United States respond by freezing Chinese uh, treasury bonds like it has vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia. So I think the, the sort of effects of a forced decoupling of the United States and China would be really economically catastrophic on both sides. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think what, what we've learned from the the experience of sanctions on Russia is that you can have these splits between the West and a target like Russia, but you also have a group of these non-aligned states that are not willing to pick sides. And I think we would observe more of that, perhaps even to a greater degree, because again, China's centrality in the world economy is so much bigger than Russia's. So I think the United States would respond the way that um, it has responded to Russia uh, in, in very similar fashion with extreme sanctions. But I think the fallout would be greater for the United States, which the U.S. economy, I think, has largely been spared the worst um, sort of blowback in the, in the case of Russia. I don't think that would be the case with China. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your insights on this important topic. Uh, great to have this conversation with you, Zuri. Thanks. That was Professor Dan McDowell from Syracuse University. His book, Bucking the Buck, U.S. Financial Sanctions and the International Backlash Against the Dollar, will be published by Oxford University Press in May. This podcast is a co-production of the Eurasia Group Foundation and the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. You can learn more about the Eurasia Group Foundation at egfound.org. And you can find out more about the SOAS China Institute at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.